Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me to the book of Romans once again. Last week we looked at the book of Romans and I uh, shared with you in our study last week about how Paul is writing to the church at Rome. Now, uh, this is not a church that he started. This is a body of believers that have been in Rome. Uh, Paul is from Rome and and... He has a heart and a passion to go back to his hometown to, uh, to share with uh, those that he loves so much. And he, he has a desire to, to, uh, uh, to minister to them, but God is not allowing him to go there at the moment. And so he's writing this letter to them. And last week we looked at Romans chapter 7 and how uh, he laid out the plan of salvation, God's plan of, of co- or actually Romans chapter 8, how God, uh, how God had uh, provided a way of salvation. And we're going to look at uh, towards the end of chapter 8 today. And, and uh, so the idea is, is okay, now that... that We've talked about salvation and how uh, we read last week and studied about the fact that there's no condemnation. There's no longer any condemnation for those that love God. There's, uh, there's uh, rather God's love is uh, poured out and He has allowed uh, us to have a uh, relationship with Him, not just a relationship of being saved, but a relationship of being a part of the family. We are adopted into the family of God and we're allowed to be a part of God's family. And and then we have uh, His uh, sanctification. God takes us and, and removes us from what we once were and transforms our lives, makes us not... Uh, we just aren't, you know, uh, so many of the Jewish uh, faith, They, uh, Paul, you know, is, is ministered. Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees, even though he's uh, he is a Roman citizen. And he knows all of the, uh, the teachings of the Pharisees and he understands their dependence on the law and how the law focuses on the fact that uh, these are the standards that God has for us. And Paul put out there, look, we can't meet that standard. There's no way we can meet that standard. There's not one of us that can go through our life without sinning. I dare say there's one of us <coughs> that can even go through a whole day without sinning we all are uh, we have a sin nature and we uh, uh, when we're born and we have a, a tendency to fall into sin and and that's what the Ten Commandments is is showing us and pointing us towards is that we can't meet God's demand on our life and therefore we need a Savior we need to be uh, cleansed and uh, Paul talks about that cleansing and how God doesn't just cleanse us and says okay you're done you're you're good to go it's not like uh, he puts us through a car wash and says, okay, I've spent time and I cleaned you up and you're all clean. Now go out there and live your life. He doesn't just shove us out there on our own. He, he provides a way for us to keep ourselves from sinning. And that's his 
sanctification. He he justifies us and then sanctifies us. He helps us to grow closer to Him and to help us to be more like Him so that we sin less often, so that we are maintain that relationship with Him. Now comes the part where uh, so many people fall into to difficulty. I had a friend that, that uh, every time he prayed, he uh, sat there and basically asked Jesus to come into his heart again because he felt so bad about the fact that he had sinned and he felt so bad about the fact that that he had, had done something wrong and he understood he needed to go to God to ask for forgiveness, but he didn't feel as though that was enough. He felt as though... Uh, every time he sinned, he jeopardized his relationship to God. He uh, caused God to, to not necessarily love him enough. Now, he placed on God uh, feelings that we sometimes have when we have someone that's in our life that we love. And, uh, you know, it's like being in a relationship. You're uh, either dating a young uh, person or you're a young man or a young woman and you, you know, begin to start to like somebody and so you begin to uh, hang around with them and do things with them and, and uh, maybe you start to date and uh, typically if you don't do everything that that person expects, sometimes they say, you know, well, maybe... Uh, our relationship isn't based as much on love as I thought it was. You know, we, we tend to have situations where if we're in a relationship and we, uh, and, and it happens in our married life too, when we get married and we, and our spouse, uh, uh, depends on us to come, you know, you go to work, you come home and your spouse doesn't come home. You wait all day long. And your spouse doesn't come home. You call your spouse on the phone, your husband or your wife, whichever it is, you call and they don't answer. And you text them and you say, hey, where are you? And they're not there. And you worry and you pace back and forth and you think, you know, the worst, you call some of the hospitals, maybe you call the police to find out if somebody's been in, if there's been an accident or something. Nothing. You wait and you wait and you wait and finally you get so tired you can't wait any longer and you fall asleep and you wake uh, you uh, uh, go to bed in tears. You wake up the next morning and your spouse isn't there and you go to work and you uh, worry and you call and you call and you send texts and you wonder and your mind begins to think the worst and you think maybe they're just uh, something happened to them somebody took them away. And then about two days later, you come home and, and all of a sudden, they're there. And you say, what happened? And you say, well, uh, they say to you, well, you know, I, I was out having a good time and, and uh, being with my friends and, and we just got carried away and, and uh, we kept on having a good time and, and the time just got away from us. And you think, wait a minute. Didn't you think about how I felt? Didn't you think about, uh, you know, the fact that you needed to come home? Where were you these last three or four days? Where were you? Well, I was just having a good time. Well, how strong is your relationship at that point? Not, not very good, is it? Not very good. 
And, and, and you know, maybe you want, uh, you know, then doubt creeps into your mind. Well, maybe they're seeing somebody else. They're spending time with somebody else. And how come you can't be at home and have a good time? Why do you have to go out and be with your friends to have a good time? Why is it that you get so caught up in being with your friends you don't have an idea? I mean, you, you begin to think all those things. You begin to worry about all those things. And there, what happens when you in your to your relationship when those kind of things happen, kind of frequently, you begin to wonder if maybe you made a mistake in being with that person, right? You begin to wonder if they're maybe having another life somewhere else, and you and you begin to think, you know, well, maybe they don't love me anymore. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe uh, maybe uh, this was a mistake. God never has that kind of feeling. You know, when you sin and you you do all kinds of stuff that God doesn't desire for you to do and you spend your time doing all those things, you're away from God at that point. Now, God's everywhere. Understand, God's all, all places. But God, and when we accept Jesus into our heart and life, He's there with us. And this is kind of the hard part to understand, but when we go off and we do all those things, I I don't feel as though God's presence is with us the same way as when we're doing the things we're supposed to. I mean, He's there. He's in our heart and life. But we're putting a wedge between us and God with our sin. Just like that spouse is that's out out having a a party and and spending time away from you. You spend time away from God and you don't do the things that you're supposed to do. You don't you don't commit. God's calling out to you. God's beckoning to you to uh, for you to come back. God's worried about uh, you know. Now God doesn't worry, okay? But if we were to humanize uh, God's experience. You know, God would. Ha- God knows where you are. God knows what you're doing. God, you know, there's not any doubt in God's mind what's going on. But God has a desire for you to come back. And the Bible tells us that He yearns for us to come back. He does things in our life so that He that He'll draw us back unto Him. And he's, we spend all that time doing all the things that we want to do, and then all of a sudden one day we, we feel as though, uh, uh, you know, uh-oh, I need to get back right with God. So we come back to God and we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm sorry, forgive me for that. And we, and we know that God loves us and we know that God's going to forgive us. And God does forgive us. But what kind of relationship are we having with God? What kind of relationship is that building on when we spend all that time doing all the things we want to do and doing all the things God doesn't want us to do? And then we come back to God and we say, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) And we just expect God to forgive us and just wipe the slate clean. And this is where some people begin to believe, well, maybe, you know, God, maybe I've lost something with God. Paul addresses this. Believe it or not, Paul, Paul addresses this. He talked about salvation. Now he, he moves on to the understanding of our relationship to God. What kind of a relationship do we have? Do we have just simply a relationship of a love 
relationship with God that's like our love relationship we might have with the spouse, where things can get in the way of our love, uh, of the love of God and keep us from having a right kind of love, uh, right kind of relationship, right kind of love with God, or maybe we're in the kind of relationship with God like uh, between them. Uh, now in Paul's day, it was very real uh, between a master and a slave, where basically uh, God comes. Like, um, like in the Old Testament, the prophet that had the wife that was of prostitution, and she was uh, out. You know, it was Gomer, and she was out there, and she was uh, she was back on the chopping block because of the prostitution she was involved in. And the prophet comes, and he he buys her back, and he takes her back home because God told him to do that. God uh, told him he needed to do that. And is it a do you feel like your relationships more like that how uh you you feel that God has bought you redeemed you from your sin but uh but you feel still kind of like hey I don't know about this he he's just freed me from my sin but does he have does he really love me does in spite of the things that I've done. And Paul says here uh, look at the type of relationship that you have with God. And we're going to pick up in chapter 8 and uh, verse 27 he says, And he that see, uh, searcheth the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intervention for the saints according to the will of God. And so this is uh, talking about the Spirit of God and how the Holy Spirit uh, it provides intercession. And he says, verse 28, uh, this is where I want to pick up. He says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are also called according to His purposes, for whom He did... Uh, now, so we look at that verse and we think, you know, okay, well, uh, if I have a relationship with God and I'm a Christian, then everything's going to turn my way. That's not what it say, uh, what it means. What it means is, is that everything that God is doing, He's doing in order to bring us into a good relationship, a love relationship uh, to Him. Because of why? Because He loves us. And it's His purpose. And He explains this. He says, For whom He did foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed uh, to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate them also he called and whom he called he also justified and those who he justified he also glorified so look he says paul says look when you entered into a relationship with god it's not just simply that god loves you and that you could possibly do anything that that would prevent that love from being a part of your life. He says, look how deep god's love is. This is how deep god's love is. God loved you he said, "For the, uh, he says in verse twenty nine, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate." Now, he says, "Everybody that God knew, who did God know? Everybody, right? Because God made everybody, so He knew you before you were you. He knew you. Let me let me blow your mind here." <coughs> The Bible tells us in Genesis that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God knew you before Genesis 
Amen. God knew, and, and that's hard for us to understand because we're such linear thinkers. We think in terms of time. We think of today, the present. We think of yesterday when we had all the storms. We think of tomorrow where it might rain again or where we might be going to the dentist or to the eye doctor or whatever it is that we have to do in the days uh, following. We think in a linear pattern. Even though we think back to the past and we think to the future, it's still linear in that way. But look, God knew you and He knows you and He knows all things, which means... Before you were ever you, He knew you like He knows you today. He knew, he knew you were coming and He knows you. And the Bible tells us that God predestined you for a love relationship before you ever were you. Before there was anything that was. He knew you and He loved you. That's what He's talking about when He predestines. And what He's talking about is He said about... now. Here, here's, here's, here's something else that you can chew on. God determined to love you and determined to send a Savior for you before He ever spoke into existence light or the earth or any of the creatures. Before He knelt down and, and fashioned uh, Adam out of the dust of the ground, He determined that He would save you and provide a Savior for you because He knew what? He knew that, that man would sin. He knew that they would be separated from Him because of that sin. He knew that man would need a Savior. He knew that He would send Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, to die on the cross for your sins. He knew that you would accept Jesus into your heart and life. He knew that and He loved you to the point where He was willing to do all of that. Knowing all of that, He loved you enough to go ahead and say, let there be light. He loved you so much that no, look, and most of us would think, you know, we go through bad things in our life, we go through hard times in our life, and we say, boy, if I'd known, known that, maybe I'd done some different things. Listen, God knew all of that, and He didn't do anything different than He already did. He did everything because of His love for you. He did all of that, knowing all of that was to come, and He still desired to love you, desired to sin. He, look, He knew the pain and suffering that Jesus would face going to the cross of Calvary. He knew the pain of separation that God the Son would feel from God the Father at that moment of separation because of Him taking on the sins of the world on Him on the cross of Calvary. And yet, He still he knew all of that before He ever said, let there be light. And He still did it. Because He loved you. That's predestination. That is He determined that He would do those things. And He says, For whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to the image of His Son. He desired that you would have, from the very beginning, He said, Look, I know man's going to sin because of uh, that, the temptation that he's going to face, and I desire for him to be like me. I desire for him to be cleansed from that sin. I desire for him to have, to take on my attributes, to be like me, to have the image of my son in his life, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. He says, I want 
even though they do all those things, even though I know they're going to reject me, even though I know they're going to turn me away from me, even though I know they're going to shake, shake their face and fist in my face and despise me and spit upon me, I still love them and I still desire for them to have the love of my life in them and desire them to be like me and what's this thing about the firstborn? He says, and I desire for them to have the inheritance of the firstborn. What's that inheritance? That's salvation. That's redemption. That's justification. That's glorification. He says it here following this. He says, uh, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And when he called them, he was justif- uh, he justified them. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And so God did all those things for you before you ever existed. Before you ever, uh, was, you know, people talk about, oh, I knew you before you were a glimmer in your mama's eye. God knew you before there was ever a glimmer of any kind. God knew you and loved you. He desired for you to be justified, glorified. And, he, and look, so now, so the Bible says that when we come into a relationship with God uh, and, and when we give our heart and life to Him, that God, it's like God places us in the palm of His hand and then He takes His other hand and He places that over His hand and He says, there's nothing that can get in here. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Look what He says in verse 31. He says, now this is how you can know that once you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life, that there's nothing that can get in the way of God's love. He says, look, verse 31, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So Paul is saying, when you accept Jesus into your heart and life, God is on your side. God... God backs you up. He's standing behind you when you face the most difficult trials and struggles in your life. No, He's not standing behind you. He's standing in front of you. He's preventing those things from uh, affecting your life. He is there for us and He's paving the way for us. Who can, uh, who can, separ- uh, who can be against us if God is for us? He that spared not His own Son. This is how much God loves us. Paul says, look, you want to know how much God is for you? He says, God didn't even spare His own Son to give you salvation. He spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us. How shall He not with whom also freely give us all things? He says, if God gave us His Son so that He could redeem you and send Him to the cross of Calvary so that you could have salvation, then how in the world would He deny you anything that you need in your life? Anything that is necessary for you? How, can, how would God even desire to push you away when He did all that to get you in, to bring you into His love? He says, Who shall uh, lay anything to charge of God's elect? He says... It is God that justifies. Look, he says, look, if anybody comes to you like Satan does and he says, hey, listen, I know what God said about loving you, but who are you that God would love you? Isn't that what Satan says? Who are you that God would do all? Yeah, God loves Billy Graham because Billy Graham's a good guy. God loves... uh, 
uh, so-and-so down the street because they're a good guy. But you, why would God love you? That's what Satan says to you, to make you feel like you're nothing special, to make you feel like God really doesn't love you, to tempt you into, into sin. He says, who's able, Paul says, who's able to lay charges against you? He says, certainly not Satan. He said, Satan's not, not allowed to lay charges like that against you. Why? Because he's defeated death and hell. He's, he's paid the penalty. He's already come and he's already put down Jesus Christ for you so that your price for your, for your salvation, it's like you were... It's like you were out drinking one night and you got pulled over by the sheriff's department and they took you to jail because you had too much alcohol on your breath and you're sitting there and you're waiting and, and Jesus came and He says, Hey, I want to come in here and I want to pay the fine for, for so-and-so. I want to pay the fine for you so you can get free. He comes in there and He pays the price for you to get out. Now, He's the only one that can pay that price. He's the only one that can get you out. And He's saying, nobody can lay that charge against you now because I've paid the penalty. I've paid the charge. There's nothing that anybody can do because I've paid that penalty. And I've justified you. I've, made, I've taken your sentence and I've erased it off the books. I've justified you. Paul said, he asked a rhetorical question here, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? He says, who's able to come in and now charge you for the crime when I've come and I've raced it off the books? He says, says, it's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. And who is even at the right hand of God who hath maketh intercession for us? When you accept Jesus into your heart and life, it's not just that simply that He comes in and wipes the slate clean for you. He's there interceding for you. He's your advocate. He is, it's like He's your attorney coming in and He's speaking to God and He's saying, Look, God, I know that so I know that He's He's committed sin, but I've paid the price. And he's no, it's not him there anymore. You need to see him like you see me. God's, God, Jesus is there interceding for us with God the Father. Now, he says, uh, only Jesus would be the one that would be able to, to deny you that privilege because he paid the price for you. But he's not there saying, ah, I don't know. Maybe he's been too bad this time. I'm not going to forgive him. No, he's saying, hey, look at him right there. You see? You see my blood? You see me when you see him. That's what he's doing. He's looking to God the Father and he's saying, look, he's got my blood covering his sin. He's no longer standing there on his own. He's, I'm standing there with him. And so Jesus Christ is there for you. He's your advocate. He says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall And he says, look, do you think that there's anything that's going to be able to keep God's love from your life? And some, some people think this thing. They think, you know, okay, I've accepted Jesus into my heart, but look, I, I've, I've fallen back into the things I used to do. I've fallen back into being the same kind of person I used to be. I've, I've started going around and doing the things I used to do again. God's not going to love me 
enough to forgive me. He's, Paul says, look, what's gonna, what, what is it that I have to tell you that, to convince you that you can't be in any spot that God wouldn't love you? He says, shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He says, is there anything that's going to be able to separate you from the love of God. He says, no, none of it. None of it. He says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, look, if you notice, he has two separate lists, the, the one I read a minute ago and the one I just read. He, the first one is all things that pertain to this world famine, the sword, pestilence, any of those things able to keep you from God's love? No. That's the worldly things. Then he talks about all the things in the spiritual realm. Angels, principalities. Any any of those things, are they able to keep us from God's love? No. Not even death or life or anything else. What you need to ask yourself is, as we come to an end, if you ever doubt your salvation, if you ever doubt the fact that that maybe you've lost your salvation, here's something you need to ask yourself. And Paul's addressed it. What of any of these things were able to keep God from saving you in the first place? Were pestilence, famine, distress, persecution nakedness, peril, any of those things able to keep God from loving you enough to send Jesus to the cross to die for your sins and to love you and to save you? Were angels and principalities, powers, all these things, height, depth, any of these things, is God too far away that He would couldn't love you enough? If is God, God loves us, yeah, but His love only goes so far. No. No, there's nothing that kept God from loving you enough to save you in the first place, right? Right? I mean, if we believe that Jesus Christ came and died for us and He loves us enough, enough to save us, then my question is then, is there anything that we could possibly do or have done that wouldn't keep God loving us still. If there's nothing in this world that kept God's love from loving you enough to save you, then there's nothing in this world, nothing you can do. Look, there was nothing that you could have done except to reject Him. There's nothing in your life that you could have done to keep God from loving you and sending Jesus to the cross to die for you and to extend to you salvation. And if you weren't good enough for salvation before you accepted Christ, there's nothing you can do after you accept Him to push Him away. There's nothing that He says, you know, I, I, I gambled on so and so. I gambled on you. I thought you, would, I thought you loved me enough to, for me 
to, for my love to stay in you. No, He doesn't say that. He says, I knew you, who you were before you ever existed. I knew what you, kind of things you have done. I know all the kind of... Th- I know what kind of person you are. And I love you enough to send my son to die on the cross for your sins. And he says, I love you enough that no matter what you do after, that I still will love you. That I still will continue to love you. That I still will keep you in the palm of my hand. That I will still continue to love you. Paul says, look... There's no condemnation in our life because God loves us and He's extending His love towards us. And there's nothing in our life that can condemn us again. No matter what we do. No matter what we've done. Now later on, Paul will say, look, uh, God's grace abounds, but let's not keep sinning to get God's grace to continue to abound. He's not saying, look, just because God loves us so much that He'll never reject us, that doesn't mean we're going to go out and test it. That means, no, we need to understand the extent of God's love and we need to then take on the attributes. We need to grow closer to God to the point where we, you know, as, as we grow up, as we get older, as we have a ninth birthday, we get to be a little bit more and more like our like our mom and daddy. We and look, the older you get, the more things you see in your life that were in your parents' life that they did that you do the same thing that they did. That you continue to have you begin to look more and more you look one day you'll look in the mirror and you'll say, Hey, when did dad come? Oh wait a minute, that's me. That's me. We look more well. We every day we look more and more like our parents because why we begin we we take on those attributes of the ones that 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 we're part of the family. We we we're like them because we're in the family, and as such, when we become a part of the family of God, God justifies us, makes us more like Him, causes us to be like Him. He sanctifies us. Paul says, those whom He sanctified, He also glorified. So we become more and more like God the more and more, the closer and closer we get to Him, the closer and closer we get to Jesus Christ. Then when things happen to us and when we do those things, the more we read God's Word, the more we pray, the more time we spend in our relationship with God, the more we become like Him so that when things happen to us, we don't reflect our old sinful nature. We reflect the new man that's in us. As Paul says uh, in Ephesians, we've taken off the old man, we've put on the new. We're no longer who we once were. We are now like Christ. We're more like Him. It's not that we become gods. We'll never do that because we are fallible. We are sinful. We become more like Christ in that when we have things happen to us, we don't react in the same way we used to when we lived in sin. We act more like what Christ would have us to act, react. We begin to say the things, do the things that God desires for us to as we get closer and closer to Him. So there's nothing, nothing. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That you don't ever have to worry about losing your salvation. You don't ever have to worry about, oh, now... You do worry about sinning against God. You do desire to be uh, to not sin. You do desire to 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 have fewer and fewer times that you fall into sin 
But you don't worry about God stopped loving you. He loved you enough. His love is greater than all the things that we could do. Let's bow in prayer.